Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have a lot to discuss on this second episode of the week here as we wrap up the month of March. It feels like March was about 60 days long considering all the coverage that we had here in the podcast. And I took a week for vacation and it still felt that long. We had the March Madness run, the ensuing Micah Shrewsbury departure, and now the hire of Mike Rhodes from VCU as the new head basketball coach here in Happy Valley. Not to mention, in the backdrop of all this, a ton happening on the football recruiting trail and Penn State in week three of spring practices. We do have some football updates to get to. We have recruiting to talk about a little bit later. But certainly, first and foremost, it is the Mike Rhodes experience now underway at Penn State. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon have been on the coverage of this coaching search uh, for a while now. And now that it has been wrapped up, they are just a few hours away from getting to see Mike Rhodes face to face uh, for a press conference. The introductory press conference scheduled for 2.30 on Thursday afternoon. We'll have full coverage during and afterward at Lions247.com. But it's still Thursday morning here, guys. And, and Mark, on Wednesday, you wrote a column about how Penn State, Pat Kraft got this part right. Now, you had a lot to say about the preceding events that led up to the coaching search. What do you make of the results of this? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, listen, first of all, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on this, and, and that's tremendous. I love that people are talking about Penn State basketball and people are passionate kind of both ways. But, you know, with respect to Mike Rhodes, you know, you're looking at a guy with a proven track record of winning, been to multiple NCAA tournaments in the last five or six years. Uh, and then over the last five years has really established an identity uh, as a coach at VCU with the way they play defensively. And I know people are looking at that and saying, oh, my God, that'll never work in the Big Ten. But you look at the consistency of where they are in adjusted defensive efficiency. And basically what that is is the number of points that they allow per 100 possessions. And if you look over the past five years, 15 in the nation, seven in the nation, 14 in the nation, 45 in the nation in, in 2020, which was kind of an aberration uh, because of everything that was going on, and number seven in the nation. And kind of like Micah Shrewsbury was able to do last year on the offensive end, they have really limited uh, their turnovers. So they're a really good, they were, they've been a really good defensive team, and they make teams work to grind it out and beat them. And I, I think a good comparison might be Rutgers. I mean, you look at what Rutgers has been able to do, and I know people may be a little bit down after the way Rutgers finished the, the end of uh, last season. But overall, the job that Peichel has done being successful in the Big Ten, I don't think you can argue with that. So that's the first thing, is that you have an identity. And I think at Penn State, where you're not going to recruit head-to-head -head with Indiana, and you're not going to recruit head-to-head -head with even a Maryland probably – uh, and, and Purdue and, and these blue blood programs, Michigan State, you're just not going to do it. I mean, history tells you. If you are able to do it, great. But if you can't, do something that you could really hang your hat on and that's going to se separate you from other teams in the league. And I think that's, you know, first and foremost, you know, one of the, one of the really good things. But I think as big as that is you have a guy who's successful who also has roots in Pennsylvania. And what did we just learn from Micah Shrewsbury? That, you know, even if he had signed, re-upped re with Penn State, I think it was only a matter of time until he was going to get back to Indiana. You know, whether it was w if and when Matt Painter retires, and, and I kind of joked about this uh, earlier in the week, but, you know, if and when, and it, it's been a lot more when recently at Indiana, when that head coaching position opens, that's been kind of like a revolving door, or, or, or Notre Dame. 
So he was not going to be, this was not going to be a destination job for Micah Shrewsbury. And I think if you look at Mike Rhodes, a guy who's 50 years old, grew up in the coal region, went to school in Pennsylvania, has deep roots. His dad was a state senator here. I think this could be a destination job for him. Is it absolutely going to be? I don't know. And, and that's one thing I'm really anxious to talk to him about today. But I think this they could be more well-positioned for long-term success with a guy that you know, a Pennsylvania guy that you know wants to be here. And clearly Micah Shrewsbury didn't. And that's not negative toward Micah. If he wanted to get back to Indiana, so be it. That's where he's from. I mean, he grew up there. You know, he, his, his first head coaching job was at Indiana – like a branch campus in South Bend, he wanted to go back there and, and, and he wanted to get back to Indiana and and and, and good for him. Uh, but in terms of being able to, to 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 get a coach with an established identity, somebody with Pennsylvania roots, we've seen how important that's been for James Franklin. At every turn, every time something's come up about James Franklin possibly leaving, and don't get me wrong, there's a couple people on the board like, oh, you can't compare this with James Franklin. I'm comparing it in the sense that. James Franklin, one of the things that's really kept him here has been that he's a Pennsylvania guy and he grew up watching Penn State football and he's from the state and he knows what Penn State's all about. And I think Mike Rhodes is kind of the same way. Uh, so those are the things that I think are big. And then, yeah, I think it's also big that they signed him to a seven-year deal. Now, we'll see if that backfires on him if they struggle. I don't think they will. I think they'll struggle initially during the rebuild just because of the turnover and personnel. But I think you're looking at a situation where there's a reason that Pat Kraft put that contract out there. You know, maybe they had to because of you know, state rules or whatever. But I don't think that he had any trouble getting it out there saying, listen, we're committed to this guy for seven years. We're in this for the long haul. We've just been through a situation where Penn State's had this is the fourth coach in less than three years. Let's get some stability here. So I think for all those reasons, I really like to hire. And for anybody, I wrote it in a column. If you were delusional enough to think it was going to be Jay Wright, you know, it just wasn't going to happen. And I get that people dream, but that, that was unrealistic. From a practical perspective, I think this was the best hire they could have made. If people want to argue with it, argue with it, but that's my take. Daniel, Mark referenced the contract there. You did a great job on Wednesday uh, for our subscribers and for folks who read the site, breaking down that contract a bit. And it certainly reflects a financial investment from the university and, and Pat Kraft able to put that together. We'll talk about the other investment aspects that are looming at Penn State in a moment from strictly paycheck perspective here. They stepped up to the plate for Mike Rhodes. Definitely. It's a seven-year deal worth $25.9 million dollars. Uh, you know, Penn State is exempt from releasing certain financial information, and we never saw Micah Shrewsbury's contract. Uh, I think that the the line after he was hired was that they were only releasing it for athletic director um, and the football coach. Um, but with new regime coming in with Pat Kraft, you know, he's tried to do things, I think, a little differently. But, you know, putting this out there shows the commitment. Seven years, $25.9 million, that averages out to $3.7 million per year. Um, you know, Mike Rhodes will make $3.4 million this year. And then <clears throat> that contract will increase by $100,000 every year uh, up until he makes $4 million in year seven. Obviously, whether things go right or things go wrong, you're, we're probably not getting to that original year seven. Uh, you know, based there will either be an extension early or, you know, 
a different direction taken. Um, but, you know, in looking at that, with that total sum, you know, seeing that compensation, I think that that really, uh, you know, reflects a commitment. Um, I went through the USA Today database, uh, which is incomplete. They have about 80 Division One schools in there. Micah Shrewsbury uh, was not listed in there because Penn State never released that information. But if you look at $3.7 million for 2022-2023, that would rank 17th uh, in school pay among the coaches who are listed um, overall. In the Big Ten, uh, that would rank fourth. Um, and then the $3.4 million salary that he'll have this year would rank eighth in the conference behind Chris Holtman ahead of uh, Fred Hoiberg. Obviously, with a lot of these contracts, there's, you know, other sources of of pay that come in based on endorsement deals, other types of contracts. But in terms of looking at what the school is going to give these players, these coaches, Penn State made a commitment. I think that they showed that they want to compete in the Big Ten um, and on the national level. And this kind of, I think, resets things a little bit uh, for Penn State basketball uh, moving forward. So, you know, it's it's a commitment. Um, it's a little bit different, but I think that's it's what you needed to do uh, based on you know where this program was and what happened over the past few weeks. Mike Rhodes gets to come home. He gets to cash in after six years at VCU where he was 129 and 60 overall, three NCAA tournament appearances, a couple of Atlantic 10 regular season titles, another A-10 tourney title. He was named that conference's coach of the year in 2019. And all those accolades add up to the fact that his bank account is going to benefit in a significant way here in the upcoming years. But, Mark, the program at large here with Penn State basketball, they've got a new man out in front, but it doesn't change the fact that there is a community uh, debate that has been raging and raging, and I don't think it's really? going anywhere. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just, despite the finality of, of this phase of Penn State basketball and them finding the new leader, um, how much does that all play into where you think they were able to get this done in terms of promises they could confidently make? And then moving ahead, what – is the brave new world for Penn State basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, when you look at the numbers that Daniel was throwing out there, they seem huge. But, I mean, if you take into account the revenue that this program's generating in the, in the Big Ten's TV contracts, uh, I mean, it, it's really what you're going to have to pay. And I said it from the beginning that I don't think the, the money aspect was ever the issue uh, with Micah Shrewsbury. You know, now what do they have to do? You know, and now you have your man and he's going to be here for, you know, multiple years. And I think now they really have to address that NIL aspect and make sure that everybody's on the same page with it. And I said it earlier in the week, I think they have to get a unified message that people understand what it's going to take, not only to recruit the best players, but also to keep the best players. And I think a lot of that's going to fall on Pat Kraft, but I think they need other voices within the university uh, or within the university community, perhaps than some of the ones who are speaking the most loudly right now. And I'll, I'll say Jay Paterno. I said it before because I just think he's so divisive. Uh, but I think there's other people. Somebody has to step up. There, there have to be other people who step up who are more unifying, unifying and, and um, I, I just think there has to be unique or not unique but but as James Franklin said when he first got the job here everybody's got to be rowing the boat in the same direction because I think you have people rowing south and east and you know down toward Harrisburg uh, you know over toward my my town the coal region I mean that everybody's got to be going in the same direction and I think now that they've got that done 
I think it's really important. I was critical of Pat Kraft for not being uh, more communicative during the process with Micah Shrewsbury as it was playing out. You know, would, if he had gotten out in front of things, uh, would it have made a difference? Probably not. But I think it would have been important to send that message to Penn State fans about how important the NIL aspect was. I have zero problem. Once Shrewsbury left, I have zero problem that we didn't hear much out of Kraft because he was focused on getting this hire made. Getting this hire made was, was critical, and getting this hire made quickly was critical. I mean, every day that you don't have this hire made – there are guys entering the portal. There are people in the portal making decisions. You know, can, it, it, we'll have Tyler Calvaruso on later talking about, you know, can Penn State salvage anything from the class of 2023? Can you salvage anything from the guys who have entered the portal, from the guys who are thinking of entering the portal? There is so much at stake here that to get this done and get it done this quickly, I applaud Pat Kraft. But I think moving forward, Penn State really has to get its head wrapped around. The Penn State community has to get its head wrapped around this NIL aspect and everybody rowing in the same direction. As we addressed on our episode Tuesday, um, just about some of those conversations and, and some of that infighting spilling into the public eye and, and on social media, there is still a lot going on away from the public eye that may come to light here in the next week or so. I some, think some people are being respectful of, of the new head coach, maybe before they start taking on some platforms. But I think we're going to see those private debates, these private frustrations enter more of a public setting here in the months to come. And it's not just what happened with basketball and people wanting to see this program get it shot, but people fear that it may be a harbinger of things to come. And when you look at the football program and James Franklin uh, solidity there and what everything that he needs to chase national championships could that be threatened if you don't up your game in the NIL realm? And, and so a lot of people trying to scramble right now. I think there's some, some power plays being made from different directions, and we'll see how it all clashes and comes together. But at the end of the day, Penn State basketball does have their new leader uh, on the basketball court. We'll see what he's working with, though, because uh, Jamil Brown, the latest member of the 2022-2023 Penn State basketball roster, is gone to the transfer portal. He's part of that freshman class from last season that we're wondering – how that's going to fare, who's going to be around. We've already talked about the 2023 recruiting class. We'll jump into that, as Mark said, with Tyler Calvaruso rebuilding the roster. But when you look at initial priorities here, Daniel Gallen, uh, for, for Mike Rhodes, who tweeted this morning he was flying up to campus. You'll see him soon. He's got to hit the ground running here in Happy Valley. What do you think's on the top of that to-do list in terms of making phone calls, checking out the process, and getting himself on track here for success? I mean, the, the first thing that you got to do is field a team. Um, I think that <laughs> when you look at where this roster is right now, uh, where it's projected to be, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you know, I think you need to hit the portal hard. Um, you know, I think I saw a list floating around of, you know, people who had public contact with VCU in the transfer portal. There were some interesting names on there. Um, I think that, you know, as we've learned with the portal, it's something that is constantly evolving. And even though it opens on one day, that's not the day all the deals get done. That's not the day that everyone enters. That's not the day that everyone decides where they're going. You know, this is a pretty drawn out process. Um, you know, we have, you know, you know, a month, um, you know, maybe two months. I think last year, the Cam Winter and Andrew Funk uh, arrived in June, I believe, so there is, you know, time to, you know, massage this, figure out who you want. Um, I know that a lot of people are looking at the VCU roster 
who could potentially follow Mike Rhodes up here. That's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but I think that first priority is, you know, talking to the guys who are still here, even the guys that are in the portal, you know, see what they want to do, see if this is an option for them. Um, you know, remember uh, Seth Lundy entered the portal. John Hara entered the portal uh, after Micah Shrewsbury got hired. Uh, Isaiah Brockington also decided to come back before ultimately leaving again. Um, so, th- you know, there's a lot that can happen um, in terms of personnel. Uh, but I think that right now this really starts and, and ends with the portal. Um, and I'm very curious to see what kind of players, um, you know, Mike Rhodes looks for, you know, under Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, we saw a lot of seniors, you know, a lot of guys in their last year of eligibility. Um, Jalen Pickett was kind of a portal rarity uh, for Shrewsbury and that he stuck around for two years. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Obviously, the portal dynamic now is different than it was two years ago. It's different than it was a year ago. Um, Penn State also, if it wants to make waves, has to have its NIL in order uh, when it comes to these guys in the portal. So I think that those are kind of the the top three things for Mike Rhodes when he gets started. The portal, NIL. You got to put together a roster, also has to put together a staff. And you had some yes. scoop in that regard, uh, Mark Brennan, on Wednesday, um, hours before this thing became official. You let us know, and eventually you let everyone at Lions 24-7 know that Joe Crispin is coming back to Happy Valley. He has been in South Jersey for the last several years, first as an assistant coach, then as the head coach at Rowan University at the Division three level. And people certainly remember Crispin, I think, in Penn State basketball lore, part of that 2001 run in the NCAA championship the last time before uh, this month that Penn State picked up a win in the NCAA tournament. What do we need to know about the move from the terms of bringing bringing the guy home, but also what he's going to inject to this staff from an X's and O's standpoint? Yeah, I can tell you one of the most, if not the most intelligent basketball person I've ever dealt with. I mean, if you have a conversation with Joe Crispin about basketball, you know, be prepared for your head to be spinning. Uh, now, the key is, can he project that to his players? And I think if you look at what he did at Rowan, you know, Division Three, uh, people may say, you know, wh- whatever. But the 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 way that he built that program and the success they've had the last couple of years, averaging over ninety points a game, uh, I don't think you could deny it because they're playing against similar competition. So he didn't necessarily have the greatest players, but he some, he was able to coax that out of them. Uh, but just the dynamic personality, uh, really knows the game. Uh, everybody, a lot of people, w- when Rhodes was hired, their first concern was how are they going to do things offensively? And I think this is sort of a nod to that. You know, they're hot, J- Joe Crispin's teams, and I, I don't know that Rhodes will try to 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 emulate that uh, specifically. But I think in Joe Crispin, you have a guy who's offensive minded who can really help them develop, you know, offensively in whatever direction they want to go. But what they did at Rome was just take a ton of shots and and counted on you not being able to keep up with them. And if you look at their success over the last couple of years, uh, it was really, you know, it, it was impressive. But you know, people going back to Joe Crispin, the guy's a, the guy was a winner at Penn State. I remember, and I don't think Joe will mind me saying this, but I, when he was a true freshman. Uh, this was back when you know I used to be able to go up and watch uh, summer workouts or preseason workout before the official workout started. So whenever he arrived, I forget when it was back then. Uh, but I used to be able to just go up in the South Gym of the Jordan Center and 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 watch them, you know, playing kind of pick up and, and running among themselves. And I looked at this guy. I'm like, oh, wh- why did they ever sign this guy? 
you know, because if you looked at him, he was like six foot, six foot one, not the fastest guy. Uh, and I'm looking at him, these, this pickup game, I'm like, geez, this doesn't really make sense. And then when you actually saw him on the floor, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Floor general can shoot from any length, absolutely fearless, super intelligent. And you saw what he was able to do as a player. I mean, I go back to the Big Ten tournament in 2001. You know, he had, he had a game winning shot, absolutely lit up a stacked Michigan State team. Uh, you know, Joe, Titus Ivory, John Crispin, uh, Tyler Smith, Jazzy Kleinherd, that, that team goes down. They're a number seven seed, I think it was. They were actual actual underdogs to Providence and beat Providence in New Orleans and then uh, take on number two seed North Carolina, beat North Carolina, and advance to the Sweet 16. That was Penn State's last NCAA tournament win the Carolina game until this year. So this guy's a winner. He knows about Penn state. He, even during his pro career overseas, uh, he was a guy who, when he could came back for coaches versus cancer every year. Once his pro career ended, he's been back every single year. I think, uh, just been a great guy to talk to great guy to follow. And I think he's going to be real positive. And again, I think another nod to, Hey, listen, they've seen the transition that's happened here. And, you know, how, how do you maybe set people's minds at ease a little bit, go out and get one of the greatest players in Penn State history, uh, add him to the staff, and, and, and let him be a part of this? Chrisman's 43 years old. He got some time in the NBA early coming out of Penn State, ended up really playing a lot internationally, and now he makes the move uh, from Glassboro back to State College. And uh, from one alum who's coming home to the staff to one who is leaving the staff and taking over his own program, Adam Fisher was the other name that we spotlighted on our Tuesday episode as this thing was coming down to the wire, along with Mike Rhodes. Fisher taking over as head coach of the Temple Owls. He'll be introduced next week, according to reports. And Daniel this is news that surfaced, I don't know, within an hour or so of, of, of the Rhodes official hire. So kind of bing, bang, boom. There was a lot to deal with the Crispin stuff as well. But what's your take on Adam Fisher? You know, 30-something. I don't know exactly how old he is. I know he's under 40 still at this point. Getting this kind of an opportunity. And I think it surprised some people that he was the pick at the end of the day. There is a lot of really, I guess, smoke around that Temple job yesterday in terms of reports of who was going to take it who backed out because of uncertainty within the administration, um, you know, all those sorts of things. And you know, we'd heard Fisher's name for it for a while. And I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for him. I think there were a lot of people that wanted to see him take over at Penn state as part of a, a continuity hire, someone who, who knew the landscape. Um, but I think there were also questions about, um, you know, is this going, is a big 10 job where he should start as should that be um, his first job, which, that can be a, a different discussion, but you know, I think being in the AAC, being at Temple, being in Philadelphia, where he's recruited very well um, and he knows the landscape, uh, he's a familiar face there. Uh, we know that you know, he did well recruiting guys uh, in Pennsylvania to come down to Miami. He did well recruiting guys from Pennsylvania to come to Penn State. Uh, you know, there's so much basketball talent uh, in Philadelphia, so I think that putting him in a very fertile ground, uh, recruiting ground uh, at a program that is really trying to get back on track. Um, you know, I don't think the, the, the Fran Dunphy to Aaron McKee uh, transition worked out the way that, that many hoped it would. Um, and now Fisher has the chance to, to build things back up. Um, I think that in terms of the 
everything around the job in terms of the uncertainty at that university. Uh, that's kind of interesting to watch, but I think that Adam Fisher is there to build a basketball program. Uh, I think with his recruiting chops, he can bring the talent in there. I'm interested to see uh, what kind of staff he puts together, uh, what kind of local connections there are. Um, because when you talk about recruiting Philly, and that's something Penn State wants to do, that's another dynamic to watch now. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, I think it's a it's a really good opportunity for him. Uh, you know, he brought a lot of good talent to Penn State. He was really involved in some really key game plans uh, for games that Penn State won. Uh, and now he's going to get his opportunity. It's two weeks exactly since Penn State rolled over Texas A&M to win that tournament matchup in round one. And now their top two coaches are head coaches elsewhere. They're Roster is essentially uh, scattered across America right now, either getting ready for the next phase of their career at the professional level or searching for a different campus or perhaps on the phone right now with Mike Rhodes hearing his pitch to stay in Happy Valley. But obviously there's a lot to get to in the world of Penn State basketball. You guys will be at the press conference on Thursday afternoon. Coverage coming at lines247.com. We'll move away from that right now, though, on the show because we were back on the football practice field this week for a look at the Nittany Lions. Week three of spring ball. April 15th is the date we're looking toward for the blue-white matchup in Beaver Stadium, shaping up to be back to that traditional scrimmage setting with numbers good on the offensive line this year. And we had a chance to hear from not just James Franklin after practice on Tuesday, but defensive coordinator Manny Diaz, five different team veterans. Um, I wanted to start with this. Uh, James Franklin really doubled down on the wide receiver situation. He says it's Keandre Lambert-Smith in year four, it's Trey Wallace in year three, and then it's everybody else essentially right now. Um, he, he says these things for a reason, uh, typically, and, and he doesn't. He could obviously list a bunch of other names if he chose to. Um, you spoke with Malik Mega, though, Daniel, and, and you had some feedback on the notes. And I mentioned a couple episodes ago, I said Mega is fighting for his chance here. It's a really important stretch of his career. He's a fourth-year guy. What was your takeaway from him? One of those several receivers who wasn't mentioned. Where do we think things stand in a really murky room with a new coach leading it? Well, I mean, first of all, Malik Mega is maybe the most physically impressive uh, wide receiver in that room. Um, I know that he and Malik McLean have pretty similar uh, measurements, uh, you know, six foot four, around a little bit over 200 pounds. But I think, you know, being up close with Mega and having to look up to talk to him, uh, it, it makes an impression on you. And, you know, we've seen his speed. Uh, we saw that teased a little bit two years ago. We saw that mostly used on special teams last year where he was able to really carve out a role as a gunner uh, on the punt team and on the kickoff team. Um, but, you know, Mega is a pretty, pretty easygoing, very affable guy. Um, you know, he said that, you know, he's really working on you know, improving his his all around game. Um, you know, he wants to be able to get onto the field consistently. Uh, you know, he knows that there's an opportunity there. You know, he and Keandre Lambert Smith are the veterans in the room. They're both guys in, in year four. And while Keandre has played a lot more football than Mega, you know, they're both the guys that, that know how this works, how to go about things. And, you know, the leadership question comes up to every single player on the roster every time we talk to them. And, you know, Mega said that, you know, he wants to help set the tone in that room to to show how it goes. Whether or not that carries over into how things look on the field, um, I think that remains to be seen. Uh, the one thing that I kind of do remind myself, you know, after we were before we were talking to him and after is that he's still new to this uh, for the most part. 
I forget when exactly he started playing football uh, in high school, but, you know, he was a soccer player from Canada um, and, you know, has really had to, to learn this game. So, you know, is this the year that things click for him? We'll see. But I think that it's easy to see the upside with him. You know, last year, Penn State didn't really have that big bodied wide receiver on the field. Now, they didn't necessarily need it with the way that Theo Johnson was playing at the end of the year, you know, what Tyler Warren was able to add. But Omega talked about he and Malik McLean being 6'4", bringing that extra dimension that they can bring in a lot more of that jump ball, you know, contested catches, uh, and that they can really stretch the field. So I think that there is an opportunity for Omega to earn a role, Uh, you know, what that actually looks like especially when you add Dante Cephas to the mix uh, later on this summer, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I think that he's, you know, he, he didn't betray any discontent. Uh, you know, he's very affable. So it, it'll be curious to see how things go for mega, you know, in this room, which is definitely one of the more intriguing position groups. You could probably point to mega as the most physically impressive receiver for like three straight seasons now. And you just <laughs> want to see that, yes. you know, come to, you know, come out the other end with, with, with an effective, consistent play on the offensive end in big 10 to this point, he hasn't really earned those opportunities versus what he's done behind the scene and on the practice field to get into that kind of a role at receiver, see if that can change. But to me, that the health of this unit overall is so dependent upon that collection of second year players at receiver, the five names that we've gone over a bunch and just going to throw a note in there. Christian driver, getting some work in the slot. Uh, we saw him staying late after practice, getting some extra routes run. So uh, driver, another guy who spent his first year at cornerback made a move. He's at receiver now. So you add him to that list, a lot of intrigue Cephas coming to town and guys like mega and Liam Clifford has been around a little bit longer, trying to state their case and, a lot unknown at that position right now. And James Franklin, uh, kind of status quo, I guess, in that regard. We weren't sure if we'd get another year of Manny Diaz press conferences. Fortunately for Penn State, and fortunately for us, we have those because he's a, always a joy to speak with. And, Mark, you were planted uh, at that press conference the entire time. We were kind of scattered about with all these things happening at the same time. Diaz had a lot to say about Abdul Carter, so, uh, convincing many of us that uh, a, a leap is on the way if, if it wasn't already apparent as Carter's put on 15 pounds and just gotten even more impressive out there. Yeah, one quick note on Malik Mega. One thing I, I loved about him last year is they, you know, he didn't really factor into the wide receiver uh, equation, but he did a great job on special teams. Would not be surprised mm-hmm. if he ends up with that zero number. Don't know for sure, but it would seem like it would be something that could make sense. And that'd be pretty wild seeing a receiver out there in zero. But yeah, with respect to Abdul Carter, that was the first thing that I asked Manny about. Because I remember back when we had that uh, freshman, I, I whatever you would call it, the availability of the uh, first-year players a couple months ago. You know, in talking to Abdul, he was so measured and so unimpressed by what he had accomplished and was talking about how, you know, one of the things he loved about Manny Diaz is that uh, he didn't treat him any differently. If anything, he was probably tougher on him. And, you know, what Manny said is that this is a guy who wants to be great and he's willing to do what it takes to be great. And, you know, even if you're a 10-year a, a NFL pro, there are always going to be things that you can do to get better. And the key is recognizing that and, and addressing that. And for a guy like Abdul Carter, who, listen, I mean, we, we saw what he was all about and he earned that number 11, you know, they gave him the number 11 and he proved that he belonged to be in that number 11 last year. But the the key areas for improvement and, and 
this is why you enjoy talking to the assistant coaches because we think we know football, but we don't. I mean, we could try to pepper them with X's and O questions and look like goofballs. Uh, but the thing that, that Manny said was you can look at the pure stats of a guy who makes tackles, you know, gets in there and makes the tackle when, when it's right there for him, and that's all great. But the thing that really separates the best players is when they're doing their job and it allows somebody else to, 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 to do what they need to do, whether that's filling a gap, whether that's where, being where you need to be so the opposing team can't go there and they're forced to go somewhere else. And that's the next step in development and being more of a, just a natural flowing linebacker. Also intrigued by the fact, and they hinted at this, I think, uh, last at the Rose Bowl, that this is a guy who has positional flexibility. So we may be seeing him in, in other areas. And then what, what they were able to do with him in that Prowler package, whether playing him as a, kind of a mic or getting him up at the line and rushing or off the edge, I mean, those are the things that are really intriguing. And, and I think just the fact that he's willing to learn. I also think a really big thing for Abdul Carter is the fact that the big dog, Curtis Jacobs, decided to come back for another year. Because when you talk about position flexibility and versatility, there's another guy who can play all over the place. And I think when you have those two guys, they just complement each other so well. And that's not, yeah, a knock on, yeah, that's not a knock on the rest of that linebacker room. Uh, because as Manny Diaz pointed out, that went from an area that everybody's looking at as a potential uh, weakness last year just because of the lack of depth. And now you look at Elsden and Kobe King, two guys who have played a ton, uh, and then you look at uh, Curtis Jacobs and you and you look at Abdul, guys who have played a lot. And I'm going down through the list. Dom DeLuca, I would not want to forget about him. I mean, I know some people kind of slept on him last year, but when he played, he's a guy who got things done. And then the early reports from Manny Diaz on Tamir Robinson and Tony Rojas are really strong. Ro Robinson, a guy who's going to be a box linebacker for them initially, uh, actually played some safety in high school, as we know. So he's a big dude. And when you talk about being physically impressive, you know, he, he's a big guy who you can stick in there. Not sure how much he's going to play, but if you need him, he's going to be physically ready. And I don't know about you guys, but I see Tony Rojas. I mean, he's going to be one of the guys who's an outside linebacker. They list him at 214, and he is a put-together 214. If that is accurate, that guy is put together. I mean, he's come in and dove into that uh, that weight room. I mean, he really looks like he was put together. He was getting a bunch of snaps when we were there because some other guys weren't. I wouldn't read in too much into that because during the spring, who knows who has classes or what's going on. But that linebacker room is looking like a lot of fun and obviously the key guy in that linebacker room. There's a lot of talent, but I think Abdul Carter is the guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, we had our VIP notes and observations up on Tuesday. One of the things I pointed out was that Tony Rojas listed at 214 doesn't look like it. If he is, look out in terms of, of where he could go physically. But either way, hard for me not to buy into Tony Rojas being someone who's going to shed their red shirt status one way or the other before November. Um, we'll see if that trajectory maintains through the remainder of spring camp and into summer ball. But I think he's there physically, and I think the mental makeup is really in place for Rojas as well. Tamir Robinson kind of chalk him in as a different category because of how much time he missed on the field as a as a high school upperclassman and really where where he is physically is, is a whole different thing because he's pushing 240 pounds you're trying to figure out is he a linebacker long term but yeah a lot to like about the depth at linebacker compared to where they were last spring i've talked about the depth at offensive line compared to where it was last spring that's sustained for another practice glimpse i counted 18 active offensive linemen 
all the primary contributors involved. And then safety was another spot. I just throw it out there where obviously you've got a four deep. There's no doubt about it in terms of what you can accomplish with Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, Zaki Wheatley, and KJ Winston. And the question is, is another guy going to force their hand to get on the field? Like Daniel Gallon referenced on our last episode when we were talking about some of the more underrated storylines and he was pointing to that safety room and the depth and, and guys maybe finding pathways to defensive impact spots. I wanted to finish here with a couple of offensive linemen. One is Olu Fashionu. I'm going to let you take that one, Daniel, because you covered the notes portion of that uh, up on the site. Um, and then I'll take Caden Wallace. Both of these guys coming off of injury-plagued finish to the 2022 campaign in very different, uh, seemingly very different spots in their um, careers, but both being counted on in a, in a whale of a way to protect this franchise quarterback and Drew Aller. Yeah, Olu said that. He's been a he's been a full go uh, so far at practice this spring, which uh, is good news coming off of the injury uh, that cost him the end of last season. Um, and when you talk about spring reps, I think that you know he might be one of those guys now at this point where he's established himself that James Franklin can kind of say, yeah, like for a guy who's played a lot of football, who you know who we kind of know what we're getting, these might not be as important. But I think that when you think about last year what Olu was able to do with that full spring as the real springboard uh, into what he accomplished last fall. I think that getting all of these reps, getting you know this this time uh, will be really good for him moving forward. Um, but you know he's a very very understated guy. You know we were asking him about you know pro day was last week. That could have been you. Um, you know did that. You know were you thinking about that at all? And he just said that it was. You know, it was cool to see, you know, his teammates, um, you know, go through that. He was asked about Drew Scruggs saying that everyone is asking about him uh, in, in all the meetings. And Juice tells them that the hype is real. Um, and Olu just said that, yeah, that's about Juice. He doesn't want to take anything away from Juice and that this is Juice's moment. So, you know, he's someone who is, you know, pretty, pretty understated. But, you know, you can tell that he's excited about the three freshman offensive linemen, Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, Anthony Donka. Uh, we saw the three of those guys, uh, you know, running around after practice, getting a little bit of extra work in um, on Tuesday night. Um, Along with Drew Shelton. And Drew yes. Shelton. Yeah, Still the, putting in that extra work in year two. Yeah. Th there's that. I mean, there's that young core uh, that you want to see on that um, offensive line and the, you know, I guess the representation of what Phil Troutwine has done uh, with that room over the past couple of cycles. Um, but, you know, I think in talking to Olu, he's someone who is, you know, pretty confident in himself, you know, isn't really bombastic about anything, um, you know, is very aware of what's at stake for him this year, what's very aware uh, for the team. And I think that, um, you know, he just wants to build uh, on, on what he was able to accomplish last year opposite of Olu is Caden Wallace at right tackle. It was a job that he held on to uh, for much of, of 2020 as a retro freshman for all of 2021, which is a really underwhelming year for that offensive front in the ground game, as we know well. And then last year, not fully healthy when the season started and increasingly less healthy to the point where he missed the final five matchups of Big Ten action. Caden Wallace opened up a bit after practice on Tuesday when we were speaking. I can't believe it's year five for him. It feels like he was just on this podcast talking about enrolling. But he's a guy who came here as a top 100 prospect, um, really quickly made a move into the starting lineup during that COVID year in 2020. And I think really the ex expectations were going to be that he was going to work his way toward coming out the, the back end of Penn State 
as maybe a, a top level NFL prospect, just like he came in as a top level college prospect. And the journey hasn't really gone that way to, to this stage. Uh, again, it was a letdown uh, across the board in 2021 um, and, and on the offensive front. And last year, I think, you know, Caden Wallace, you saw it as, as I think the season went on. The consistency got better. I think the confidence got better, but the health didn't. And fortunately for him, Bryce Efner, unfortunately for Penn State, Bryce Efner was ready to, to shoulder some of that load. He was rotating in early and then took over the job when Caden Wallace stepped away. And I think a lot of people thought that Caden Wallace might just be done. The chapter might be closed here at Penn State. And he doubled down on, on his, his investment here with Penn State, went into the winter. Um, and was the three-time pick by Phil Tratwine as, as the top performer in winter workouts. No other offensive lineman got that kind of praise from the coach uh, during winter workouts. And now here he is in the field, um, you know, holding down that right tackle job. He's got a competition on his hands with Drew Shelton. But as Caden told us and as James Franklin told us, there's some growing pains right now, a learning curve for Drew Shelton. Anyone who's switched from one side of the offensive line to the other can probably identify with this. And now imagine having to counter guys like Chop Robinson and Adiza Isaac on the practice field while you're trying to learn those new steps. So important stretch here for the spring for, for Drew Shelton. But for to me, this is an opportunity for Caden Wallace to build some cushion, maybe send himself into the summer with an advantage and edge at that right tackle spot. Because I know Drew Shelton's going to put in the work and it's going to be a battle this summer. But Caden Wallace, let's not write him off, folks. I think people were quick to do that last year. Don't just write him off as a guy who's going to contribute. He could come through with the career year here. And if you're thinking that Caden Wallace steps up with the best year of his career with what we already know about the rising pieces of this offensive line, should make you smile very wide. Um, of course, he's got to go and do it. He says consistency is going to be the key. There, there's some mental maturation going on. But trust me, he hears that clock ticking in his eligibility. This guy wants to prove what he's all about here in 2023. And I think it's one of the more maybe undersold stories uh, on this Penn State roster because of if you can get consistent quality play at right tackle, maybe even get an all-conference level play if Caden Wallace can take a big step forward, that changes kind of the way you view the offensive line depth and maybe changes the way you could use Drew Shelton in the coming year. Just some stuff to throw out there on the offensive front. We've got Tyler Calvaruso waiting in the wings, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon. You've got to get ready uh, for the press conference as Mike Rhodes comes to Happy Valley. Uh, wish him well from all of us at Lions 24-7. We'll be covering him very closely in the coming months and years. Uh, but, guys, I look forward to your coverage and really appreciate the perspective on football and basketball here on the podcast. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. See you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Uh, let's jump into it now with Tyler Calvaruzzo, our recruiting insider at Lions 24-7. We got a lot of football action to look to, uh, more weekend visitors of note, uh, and some official visits being locked in for later in the year. But let's begin, Tyler, with basketball, because that is the center of conversation in Happy Valley this week. Mike Rhodes coming in, assembling a staff. He needs to assemble a roster. And on Wednesday, you put together a very well-thought-out piece for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com about what that process might look like, the different kind of prongs involved with what it's going to take from a personnel standpoint for Penn State to be competitive here in the upcoming season. Where do you think it starts for Mike Rhodes? I feel like it has to start in the transfer portal because the good news for Rhodes is he, he's inheriting. I mean, one heck of a rebuild. I really think that's just the best way to phrase it. You look at the way the roster has been gutted since Michael Shrewsbury's departure and you look at the way the 2023 recruiting class has essentially fallen apart. Not that that really came as much of a surprise once Shrewsbury left, you know, you kind of saw the writing on the wall there, but it has come to fruition. And now Rhodes is inheriting a team that he's going to have to rebuild. 
on the fly through the transfer portal. And that, that's the good thing about the transfer portal. You know, a lot of people always talk about the negatives of the portal and how it has impacted college basketball and the changes that it has brought about. But for coaches like Rhodes who inherit a rebuild, they can rebuild quicker than ever through the portal. You, and you could get college-ready guys into your program in year one. That's something you weren't able to do in the past. You know, it's great to build through high school recruiting, obviously. But when you could go out and get some veterans in the portal and, you know, have maybe three, four, five guys come in who are, have that college experience and are ready to go in the Big Ten right off the bat, that can kind of accelerate the timeline for what you're trying to build. I think that's something that Rhodes is definitely going to target heavily, especially considering some of the talent that he had at VCU. And this is something that I wrote and made pretty wanted to make pretty clear. You know, there's no guarantee that there's going to be some mass exodus at VCU. You know, they they just hired Ryan Odom as their new head coach over there. He was at UMBC when UMBC upset Virginia as the 16 seed. And he spent the last couple of years at Utah State, got Utah State back to the tournament this year. So he's a good coach and he's gonna, you know, give some guys some things to think about. But at the same time, you have guys like Ace Baldwin, who was the A-10 player of the year and defensive player of the year. He turned down high major offers to play for Mike Rhodes at VCU. And I was really close to the ball with recruitment. That was dating way back to when I was in college covering Seton Hall. Seton Hall was one of the high major programs that wanted Baldwin really badly. And VCU came in, beat them out. So I, I, that speaks to he's been on the high major radar for a really long time. And if he does hit the portal, it's not just going to be Penn State after him. There's going to be some big players I would anticipate with him. A couple other guys, too, who I could really see veterans for VCU coming over potentially. Jalen Deloach, the brother of former Florida State linebacker, Kalen Deloach. He might not be former. I'd have to check their roster. I'm not sure. He might still be there at this rate. I, I don't know with this eligibility anymore. But either way, I, he's just as tough as his brother. He's six foot nine, really strong low post presence for VCU this past season, shot nearly 60% from the field. So he would be a quality get for Penn State if he were to hit the portal and consider joining Rhodes. One guy I'm really, really high on, he's a New Jersey native, Jameer Watkins. He played his high school ball at Trenton Catholic, and he was another guy who turned down high major offers to go play at VCU. T lost his sophomore season with a torn ACL in 2021-2022. Rebounded really nicely this year. Looked more and more like himself as the year went on. True two-way wing who could do a lot, of different a lot of good things for you on both ends of the floor. Uses his length defensively. He could shoot it pretty well. Almost 40% from three over 40% from the field this past season. So there are some tools there that, you know, another guy, if he hits the portal, I'm sure Rhodes will have something to say about that. Jaden Nunn, he joined Ace Baldwin in the backcourt this past season. And if it's a theme, it's a theme. Another guy, high major offers coming out of high school, was committed to Iowa State at one point, decided I'm going to go play at VCU. He looked really good as a sophomore. His second year at the program really took a stride in his development and then one other guy, he's not a veteran from VCU, but he's an underclassman who has local ties. That's Christian Furman. He's a native of the Poconos. He didn't play a whole lot for VCU as a freshman, which didn't come as any sort of surprise to anyone associated with that program, given the veteran bigs that VCU had on its roster who have now exhausted their eligibility and aren't options to join Rhodes at Penn State. But Furman, he's from the Poconos. He's a developmental guy. He's got some really good tools, you know, down low, six foot ten got a long wingspan because he's a good shot blocker going back to his high school career. So younger guys and another one, Alonzo, I believe his name is Alonzo. It's either Alonzo or Alfonso. I'm blanking off the top of my head. Billups, another young guy from Virginia who followed Rhodes to VCU and has high upside. So there's a lot of options here. I mean, that's not even including the guys who have no ties to Rhodes right now who are in the portal, who are definitely going to give Penn State a look if Penn State gets in contact. So there's a road to this, man. It's going to be a long one. I think it's going to take – Maybe two, three years for Rhodes to really put his stamp on this program. But think about it. Based on what we just talked about before, you know, that two to three years used to be three, four, maybe even five years.
just, you know, mm-hmm. having to focus on high school recruiting so much. So Penn State fans might not be in for as much suffering as they're anticipating. You know, this thing could turn around pretty quickly. And Rhodes is a pretty good coach. I like this hire. I, I know there was a lot of talk about Adam Fisher and a lot of fans wanted him, but I think Rhodes is a good fit in Penn State. Well, think about the stamp that Shrewsbury put on Penn State basketball exactly. and how important transfers were as a part State of that prospect. Fans have seen that. Yeah. And, and and now when you hire a coach in, in this era of, of of college athletics, you are keeping an eye on what's the package deal. You know, who are you bringing from your current roster to our campus? That's, that's you know, kind of the read between the lines of everything right now. And as you said, that conversation with VCU's roster starts with Ace Baldwin, uh, a premier player in the A-10. We'll see if it comes to fruition in terms of them loading up on, on former VCU guys. But I know for a fact that something Michael Shrewsbury had to do when he got to campus was get on the phone and get guys back on board who had entered the portal and, and, and were exploring their options because of a coaching change. Two that obviously come to mind here are members of Penn State's 2022 freshman class, Jamil Brown, who entered the portal on, on Wednesday, and then Evan Mahaffey, who did so earlier. Um, what do you think about that kind of effort in retention? And then we've also got to address the 2023 recruiting class, uh, which has come apart at the seams. Mahaffey, you know, that's a guy you would love to keep around, obviously. Of all the players that I watched with Penn State this past season, Mahaffey was one of those guys who stood out as a really, really high upside guy. I think he's going to go on to have a really good college career. I'm just not sure it's going to be a Penn State at this point. I'd kind of be surprised if he didn't follow Michael Shrewsbury to Notre Dame, to be honest with you. I think Shrewsbury was so high on him coming out of high school, and they did such a good job recruiting him that I could definitely see him just following his former head coach to South Bend, and that'd be a pretty good fit for him. Not ideal for Penn State, obviously, you know, losing a player of that caliber with that kind of an upside. But, look, that's the name of the game whenever there's a coaching change. And when it comes to 2023 recruiting, you're really at a point in the cycle where you're going to have to trust your evaluations. You're going to have to search for some steals. Now, I would say a good thing for Penn State in this regard is that Mike Rhodes and his staff at VCU, who you know we've been hearing some of them will be joining him in Happy Valley. That's the expectation, at least, that as a mid-major staff, you're kind of privy to some of these under-the-radar guys who aren't necessarily on the high-major level in terms of their recruitment. They might have high-major talent, but they might not be getting the high-major looks that they deserve. Programs like VCU, you know, you're in the A-10, especially regionally, you know, in the Northeast and in Baltimore and DMV area, you could be well aware of those guys and you can unearth some potential gems. But are you going to rebuild the 2023 class with three guys to replace Kerry Booth, Logan Imes, and Brayden Shrewsbury? I know he's not officially out the door yet, but we we all know what's going to happen there. Are you going to find three guys to fill those scholarship spots? Probably not. And that's perfectly fine because at the end of the day, if you get guys in here that you trust, that's the most important thing. And then you can really hit the ground running in 2024 and build a bigger class when you're more solidified and you're more kind of in tune with what you want to accomplish as a program. Yeah, right now, uh, scholarship players accounted for on this team are limited. Uh, yes. So <laughs> we're good. they have a lot to fill out, and, and, and that number could dwindle further by the time this podcast goes up the way guys are jumping into the portal. But now it's the Mike Rhodes show. We'll see if he can kind of solidify things a little bit, stabilize. I'm sure there's five or six names from the 2022-23 uh, Penn State roster that he would prefer to keep on the upcoming oh, yeah. roster. But 
we certainly understand, as I just referenced, that players are going to follow coaches in modern uh, college athletics, and we're going to see some of those Nittany Lions, former Nittany Lions, eventually land in South Bend. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Tyler, let's shift gears, go to football recruiting conversation right now, and let's begin with, with a couple of players we anticipate on campus here on a Thursday out of the state of Florida. Yeah, so John Marshall and one of his Mandarin teammates will be joining him at Penn State. The expectation is that they'll be here for an unofficial. Both will be back at Penn State in June for their official visits. I believe Antoine Belgrave Shorter, who is the teammate who is joining Mitchell on campus today, will be at Penn State on June 9th for his official. And Mitchell is looking at June 2nd. I'm not 100% sure if that's locked in yet. I'm going to have to double check with him on that. But it's looking like he's looking at that first weekend in June. I think it's kind of notable that they're not making it to campus together for their official visits, considering they're coming to campus today together. That kind of caught me by surprise. But anyway, in terms of evaluation on both players, Mitchell has kind of really been a riser on the board throughout the cycle. He's one of Penn State's top guys at the position right now. And Penn State likes Belgrave shorter a lot, too. So both of those guys, they project as outside corners at the next level. You know, Terry Smith, that's obviously what he's looking for in this class. Penn State is yet to land a corner beyond Kenneth Mosley from Philly. They're still looking to add there. Two guys who, you know, they got a lot of potential, a lot of upside there, especially Mitchell as a top 24-7 guy. I really like Mitchell's game. He's got a lot of top-tier programs that own him heavy. Same with Belgrave Shorter. They were both in Miami earlier this week for a visit. Kane's pushing hard to keep them in state. A lot of buzz around that. So that's going to be their top targets for Miami both top targets for Penn State. So we'll see what comes out of this visit. And then they're then both already locked in to make it back in June. I'd say it's a pretty good thing for Penn State right now. Yeah, when you've got guys coming long distance multiple no times and, and scheduling that, that's big. Uh, Mitchell is the number 19 cornerback in 24-7 sports rankings for 2024 recruiting class. Uh, Belgrave Shorter, number 52 cornerback in those rankings. And uh, they aren't the only Florida defensive backs making some moves here, uh, as you reported this week. Yeah, yeah. It, Ricky Knight from the Benjamin School in North Palm Beach. Penn, Penn State had a little bit of involvement there this past cycle with the recruitment of Micah Mays, who wound up a four-star wideout who wound up signing with Wake Forest. Penn State was kind of late to the party in that recruitment, as were a lot of uh, a lot of the other top-tier Power Five programs. I kind of got in on Mays late. Wake Forest was there early. They got the signature in the end. Ricky Knight, they definitely were not late to the party. They were in very, very early. They were one of the first programs to offer, I believe, along with in-state Florida State, who is now pushing really, really hard to keep Knight, her own, Knight home. Jeez, excuse me. But Penn State, they like Knight's speed a lot, and that's something that really stands out about his game. That's something that Terry Smith really likes about him. He's not necessarily of the lanky variety, but he, he's got some pretty good length as an outside guy. I think he's one of those names, you know, you get him to campus, you see how he fits in the secondary. He's one of those guys who makes plays. If you go watch his film, he uses his speed to his advantage. Just an overall really good athlete. One of those guys who has that it factor, in my opinion. He, every time he camps somewhere, anytime he takes part in seven on seven, he's among the alpha dogs. He's among the top performers. He's just one of those players who will get it done for you, really, no matter what the role is. So he'll be making it to campus for his official visit. He's another one who's going to be on campus June 2nd. He'll be on early in the month. So, again, an opportunity for Penn State to really help itself with some out-of-state defensive backs. Now, there are other people than Florida defensive backs scheduling Penn State official visits, and you've got a report up here just before you came on the podcast here on Thursday morning about four-star quarterback Michael Van Buren out of St. Francis Academy down in Baltimore lining up his trip for June. And, and we've talked about this quarterback class. Maybe two guys come on board. They still got to get the first guy in the class before they can start thinking about the second one. 
Yeah, I keep coming back to this June 2nd weekend. It's looking like that, that is when Van Buren is going to be on campus for his official visit as well. So that's shaping up to be, you know, a nice little busy first month of the week or first weekend of the month for Penn State. Van Buren, he's probably their top guy at quarterback with the way things have played out. I, I know for a while there was so much affinity for Luke Kromanick for Florida State commit, and there's still definitely that affinity, but it's looking like he's going to stick with the Seminoles. He's pretty solid with them. So that leaves Van Buren, who has been to Penn State more than any other program in his recruitment to date. Uh, that's something that I think really stands out to me when you look hard at this recruitment. Oregon has been pretty heavily involved as well, but he has been to Penn State the most. Some of that is regional, of course. You know, Being in Baltimore, it's easier for him to get to Penn State than a lot of the other places that are going after him. But he's coming back because he has such a high level of interest in the program. He's got a good relationship with the offensive coaching staff, specifically Mike Yersis. And Daniel Bryan has played a pretty big role in this recruitment as well from a development standpoint, selling how Penn State could develop its quarterbacks, pointing to Drew Aller and what they were able to accomplish with him behind the scenes as a freshman, how they've been able to get him ready you know, to take over Sean Clifford this upcoming season. So Van Buren coming to campus early, getting first crack at him, I would say that's a good thing because he, he is going to have other official visits coming. He told me that those are in the works. Nothing official, nothing official for the officials right now. But Penn State, he is locked in with them for June 2nd. All right, we'll keep tabs because the quarterback class, uh, you know, again, it, it's going to change so much uh, if Drew Aller goes out there and, and steps up. And by the time Drew Aller's out there throwing passes against Big Ten defenses, you'd like to think you already have a quarterback, if not too committed to your class. But, again, there's a lot to gain from this upcoming year. Uh, Michael Van Buren, a four-star composite quarterback, 24-7 um, Sports has him as the number 21 overall quarterback in this class. Um, getting back to, to this week and visits happening in the coming days, um, Tennessee – uh, is, is a state now pops up. It's been California. We've seen some Florida and now some visitors coming up from Tennessee, one of the power programs down there. Yeah, they're all over the place this cycle. Penn State, you know, it's got the national footprint, so you got to do what you got to do. We're t take talent wherever you could get it. And they're looking at Lipscomb Academy for specifically in the 2025 class. They're loaded up with young talent. And it looks like they're going to have a contingent on campus this weekend, starting with Chauncey Gooden, who's a top 100 off interior offensive lineman from Nashville. He originally wasn't a part of the contingent that I was informed about, but he's been added to that. He'll be on campus along with the likes of Sim. I, I might butcher this last name, CJ Jim Coyley, I believe. He has, about, I think he's closed. He's either closing in on 20 offers or has 20 offers. Now, I know Michigan is one of the most recent programs to offer him. We got him listed as an athlete. He's looking like a corner at the next level. We'll see how Penn State likes him. It's looking like they're thinking similarly. Lipscomb's Academy, they got a pretty impressive 2025 quarterback making it to campus this weekend. So th there's a lot of good things coming out of that program. There has been for the last couple of years with Trent Dilfer at the helm. He's at UAB as its head coach now. So obviously a little, a little bit of a change within that program, but they got a former All-Pro center running the show now on Kevin Mawley. So there's going to be more and more talent coming out of Lipscomb Academy. And I think it's good that Penn State's pretty involved with those guys early just because, again, They've ascended to the point where they, they've been in national polls. They were actually in one of my national polls when I was over at USA Today. They were on the back end of that. So they have a place on the national scale now. I think you're going to continue to see them getting the top talent in that region of their program, and that means programs like Penn State are going to be getting those guys on campus more often. Also confirmed on the guest list for this weekend, check a – uh, check out a practice that Penn State will be having on Saturday. Uh, top 24-7 talent out of New Jersey, Jordan Thomas from Don Bosco Prep, the powerhouse there in northern New Jersey. Uh, he's going to be hitting the road again next weekend, going going long distance, but staying uh, staying closer to home, checking out Happy Valley this weekend. Another chance for Deion Barnes to impress. 
Yeah, you know, we'll see what happens with those visits. Ever since the article went up that I wrote, I've been hearing it's more on the maybe side when it comes okay. to those two trips. That's something that he's working on, you know, officially finalizing with his own personal schedule and his family, things like that. But he's been to Penn State before, really high on the program. Likes likes how disciplined James Franklin is. That's something that he's noted. As it stands right now, it's going to be Penn State this weekend and Florida next weekend. But, again, we're, we're going to have to see if that comes to fruition. We'll be keeping a really close eye on him, following up on him. But if he does make it to campus, he is one of their top interior defensive line targets. So that's a big opportunity for Deion Barnes to really assert himself in that recruitment and to kind of more strengthen that relationship more and more. Yeah, you want to turn an unofficial visit uh, in, in early spring exactly. to an official visit after Always. the spring, right? So so that's the intention. Um, a couple other really notable visitors at the receiver position will be on campus. We have that up on our VIP subscribers uh, message board at lines247.com. So check that out. 30% off annual subscription right now or $1 for one month if you just want to take a peek at the way we cover Penn State athletics on our site. Tyler, I, I, great stuff as always. We had a lot to basketball to break down this week. I think that'll start to slow down moving forward as football and football recruiting start to sneak back in to the forefront for us. But uh, obviously between now and our next episode, people should be following your coverage because there are some really impressive visitors getting to town again this weekend. They'll be talking about it and who knows what else comes of it. No doubt, man. There's going to be some names getting added to that list too, if I had to guess. So definitely keep an eye on it. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate you. Of course, man. All right, Tyler Calvaruso, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, back on board with another episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're going to step away for now. Complete coverage of the Mike Rhodes press conference coming your way on Thursday afternoon at lions247.com. We have a lot of stories coming uh, from spring ball and the spring recruiting trail as well in the days ahead over at lions247.com. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue wishing you all a great day ahead.